Good evening. Welcome Good evening. to Minister's Training Class, Session 10, I think, or so on this book, and we're finishing up. Yeah, yeah, 654, if you add them all together. We're finishing up ages and dispensations tonight. So, uh, yay, right? And graduating four. Jennifer's waving back there here in about, a, what, 10 days or so. And looking forward to that. I want all of you to be a part of it, of the celebration that day. We're going to have a dinner after church. So just need to kind of figure out how many of your family is going to be here. And we're going to have uh, uh, salmon and uh, chicken strips from Cheddar's. So anyway, we'll, we'll uh, have a good meal for all these, these grads. So remember that coming up. Uh, you all ready to dive in? I feel like I'm forgetting to say something else. Oh, the next book. Here it is. The Gospel of Healing by A.B. Simpson. Not Bart, okay? It's A.B. Uh, he doesn't look anything like Bart. He looks pretty uh, old school, right? But anyway, uh, all right. So last time we met, we talked about the underworld. What's happening down there? Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Anybody remember the Hebrew word for hell? Sheol. Anybody remember the Greek word for hell? Hades. Hades. All right. So, back then there were two, you know, back in the lower parts of the earth before Jesus came, uh, there were two compartments, wasn't there? Remember that? The rich man and Lazarus, that story? What did Jesus do on paradise side? He took them home, emptied the thing. And so now when you die, where do you go? To be absent from the body is to... Be present with the Lord. So He said, hey, it's kind of hot down here. You want to go get some air conditioning? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, got a little bleed over from hell coming over into paradise here. So, Anyway, so, and then right at the end of the session, we talked a little bit about the millennium and the millennial city. Remember the diagram there on uh, one of my book? It's page 86. going to be a beautiful, beautiful Wonderful, wonderful place. How many want to go? <laughs> Look, hey, everybody, that's 100%. You, you can tell I'm in a room of, full of preachers, right? So anyway, we did that. We kind of wound up that chapter. So in my book, we're finishing chapter 7, but I think in John's book, it's like 14 or 13. Okay. Is it it? What's, what's y'all, 7 or 13? Okay, all right. So I guess mine's really old. The Millennium and the Judgments. We're going to wrap this up tonight. So Ezekiel, he gets a vision of God's final perfect kingdom. And as we're going to find out here in just a little bit, there's a lot of uh, speculation, I guess is the word. There's a lot of different hypotheses regarding what Ezekiel, you know, what time frame this was meant to be. And we'll look at those but the just briefly, but the fifth one is the main one that we're going to focus in on. But... Anyway, uh, in, the, in the divine government, we know now we've moved from uh, the dispensation of grace into the dispensation of divine government in the study tonight. We're still in grace here tonight, okay? We haven't got, got there yet. I don't want to make that clear. But anyway, he, uh, in the divine government, the, the temple becomes the focal point of everything, and Ezekiel writes quite a bit here about resetting uh, you know, up some of the rituals of worship and sacrifices and all this different stuff. So let's, let's look at these five different uh, opinions. Can I use that word? Uh, of, of what uh, Ezekiel saw here according to different theologians here. Number one, some think they described the temple at Jerusalem prior to the Babylonian captivity and are designed to preserve a memorial of it. The objection is, though, that such a memorial is unnecessary because of the records in, hello, Kings and Chronicles. Number two, some think these chapters describe the temple in Jerusalem after the return from the 70 years in Babylon, but this cannot be because there are more marks of contrast than likeness between the temple here described and that. So scratch that one. Number three, some think they describe the ideal temple which the Jews should have built after the 70 years in which they never realized. This lowers the character of the divine word. Why should 
this prophecy have been given if it was never to be fulfilled? Hello. And number four, another uh, speculation. Some think this temple in Ezekiel symbolizes the spiritual blessings of the church in the present age. If so, why all the detail and who will undertake to interpret the symbolism? And so number five, here it is. This, the final view is that we have here a prediction of the temple that shall be built in the millennial age, the new Jerusalem. So he goes ahead and says, I believe this is the correct view. So let's look down here under explanation of the sacrificial order. Because in, in Ezekiel chapter 40 through 48, which is what we're talking about here in the start of this, those eight uh, chapters, he talks a lot about the, the sacrifices and the sacrificial order. So, and Jeremiah even spent some time, too, some time there too in Jeremiah 31. These covenants were ratified by the sacrifice on Calvary's cross and provide for a changed attitude. Anybody get a changed attitude when you found Jesus? Hallelujah. A changed nature and the infusion of the Holy Spirit as the divine enabler. I like that, don't you? The infusion of the Holy Spirit. Israel will come under a mighty effusion of the Holy Spirit. Remember, at the end time, everything's going to be about Israel, right? She's going to be surrounded. There's going to be armies coming. There's all this stuff going down. But once again, God's going to come through, and he's going to annihilate you know, all of her enemies. So anyway, there's going to be a mighty effusion of the Holy Spirit like Joel talked about, a lot of people, you know, and I think he talks about that here. Some some people, we even refer to it today as the latter day. You know, Joel saw it in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. But he takes it a little bit farther here and thinks it even refers to this time during the, the millennial. He says, as to the matter of sacrifices, we uh, answer... Some plausible objections in the words of Pastor W.C. Stevens. Uh, I don't know if I want to read it. Let's, let's don't mess with that. Uh, let's jump down to the next paragraph. It should not be thought strange that when the nation of Israel is restored to the land of Palestine and to the place of national blessing, that's in Ezekiel 45, that the feast of Passover and tabernacles should be reobserved. They mark the time of national deliverance from death and judgment in Egypt and the time of preservation. And I like the, the analogy that he uses here. You know, here in the United States, we have July 4th as a big observance, don't we? And also Thanksgiving. So said, why would it not be something that, uh, you know, uh, that you'd want to have a national uh, observance of? So these are Jewish national holidays or Holidays means what? Holy days. So, in, uh, let's see here if I want to read that. Uh, one thing he talks about here in this next paragraph, just skimming over this. Uh, instead of the twofold offering of Leviticus at Passover and Tabernacles, there will be at, at these two feasts the sevenfold offering of an atonement perfectly revealed. In the Leviticus, we see a morning. Remember the morning and the evening sacrifice? Here there's only a morning sacrifice where there will be no moral night in Israel again and her son shall go no more down. Why well, have one in the evening, right? If the, Remember the lamb is the light, right? The lamb of God is the, the light. So again, some of this, if you've read it, uh, a lot of it, uh, again, we're, we're going to hit the highlights on it. But again, if you have any questions or you see a spot here where you made a, note that you want us to stop and maybe uh, get some discussion going we definitely will so let's look at the outpoured spirit that Joel talked about there uh, in Joel 2:28-29. the spiritual condition of the millennium will be in decided contrast <laughs> to what prevails in the world now I'm I am a bit curious on this part okay talking about Sacri doing sacrifices. Mm -hmm. 
if the sacrifice once and for all has already been done, what would be the purpose of once the millennial age when the, when the supreme priest, supreme high priest, meaning after the order of Melchizedek, Christ, is there and he paid the cost for all, why would we need more sacrifices? You think just like I do. When I read this today, I thought the same cotton-picking thing. I thought, why? But apparently, again, it goes back to, and again. Is it more, is it more of a memorial-type thing, a remembrance, yeah. kind of like we pop fireworks to remember the cannons as a, as a remembrance of the cannon That's the, the cannon only fire. thing I could come up with, is that it's just something, a something along those holy lines. day yeah. of, of remembering, you know, kind of mm -hmm. like the seven feasts that Israel had, you know, even though, again, I'm not one that, I'm not hung up on that a lot, you know, as far as observing stuff. I guess I live too much in the now, you know, and, and I know that I've been saved, I've been redeemed, and I know that, you know, communion is very important. I know that, you know, dedicating your baby, I know that marriage, that, you know, all of those are some things, that, some rituals that we we do, but uh, again, it's I think that's the bottom line on that because I, I was the same thing. Like, why would we go back when the lamb has been slain? You know, uh, and and it may be a sacrifice that is symbolic more than uh, actual. Yeah. Much like the much like the communion that we have now is a symbolic gesture of the Last Supper, yeah. where they were eating Passover. We don't have a Passover meal for communion. We just break the bread and drink the grape and drink the juice so maybe it's something symbolic much like communion so. and less literal sacrifice very good point what'd you say lisa right right doesn't doesn't uh make you any more saved right it's just it's just kind of something to remember i guess and point back so uh look at the spiritual condition uh, it's going to be pretty good isn't it uh, I would think in the divine government plan the context in which he, he shares some scripture, scripture there Zechariah 12 Ezekiel 36 the context in which these verses are found shows that this blessing is to follow the judgments of the day of the Lord out of which the faithful remnant of Israel will be delivered while the outpouring of the spirit on the day of Pentecost, and again in these latter days, is the same in kind as spoken of by Joel, so that Peter could truly say, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Nevertheless, neither of these effusions of the Spirit is the exhaustive fulfillment in degree or full measure of Joel 2.28. This awaits the opening of the millennium. Pentecostal people are often guilty here it is. I thought I'd read that. A faulty exegete. Always have a hard time with that. Exegesis. Hear and expose themselves to just criticism by saying that the present outpouring is the complete and final fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. No, it's going to continue on, isn't it? Plumb into the millennium. It is in kind, but not in degree. Glorious days still await Israel because even right now Israel's not that involved. And in you know, here in the United States, we had the mighty manifestation and manifestation and outpouring of the Holy Spirit starting in Azusa Street, you know, a hundred years ago. And there's been waves of the Spirit across this land, even in the last, you know, the Brownfield revival, on and on. There's just been a lot of outpourings of the Spirit. But uh, this author believes that it's going to be more for Israel. Uh, during the millennium so it says also during the millennium the knowledge of the Lord will be universal as now evil prevails and many nations are still in the darkness of idolatry then righteousness will prevail and all nations will know the name of Jehovah what a world won't, won't it be nice to have a thousand years of no temptation yeah because there will be the, the devil will be in the pit. His his angels will be in the pit. Yeah. There'll be no temptation. Yeah. There'll be no lusts of the flesh. There'll be no desire to covet. There'll be no desire to murder. There'll be no desire to steal, 
or destroy or anything. Mm-hmm. Imagine what we could actually yeah. do. Exactly. If we weren't trying to hurt each other. Yeah. <laughs> I said something like that in my sermon, not either last Sunday or the one before, where that can you can you just imagine a world where everybody knows Jesus? Yeah. You don't you don't need locks, you don't need security, you don't need alarms, you don't need you don't need to worry about this guy or whatever. Man, the inner city, man, it's it's a rough, wicked, terrible place. One of my one of my interests is old cars and pickups, and I belong to a couple websites, and they're pretty. You don't speak about spiritual things or politics, and that's cool. But sometimes there's a need, and uh, we're talking about things with our country. And I said, our money says in one nation under God, and I said, we're the only one. And a couple of guys are going, really? Can anybody dispute that? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah, none of them. None of them. It's all about them and me. Uh, I have one thing to say about the one of our former children's teachers that have all been awesome. I'm not going negative, but kind of questioned the thing about hell being hot. <clears throat> Lake of fire? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And didn't it, did, I don't know if any of you saw that one of the, there's been a lot of them this week that have boiled my blood, but, you know, of course, the Roe versus Wade, we that's that's old news now, but it uh, it they somebody's Scary found thought. out that they'd had prayer in the Supreme Court chambers. Oh my God, we've had prayer in the. I'm like what in the? Exactly. I know. You, right? the, the headlines, you know, uh, leaked. Yeah, exactly. I thought, what in the world? You know, all those stats that I read the Sunday of how that the Supreme Court, even a hundred years after the foundation, it still said that this, the form of government for this nation is Christian. Mm-hmm. You know, and yet here's people now here, you know, 150, you know, almost years later, they're just like, oh my goodness, we had prayer in the Supreme <laughs> Chamber. Uh, uh, an excellent example of the difference between a government built on the foundation of, of, of Christ and a government built on the foundation of men is shortly after our revolution, they had a revolution in France. Do you know how many constitutions they've had in the same 200 years since then? Nine. 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 They've redone it nine times wow. and they're probably about to redo it again. Where we've had one for 250 years. And their influence, the French influence, came to America in about the 40s or 50s, if I remember mm-hmm. right. And that's secularism is what mm-hmm. has ruined their yep. government there instead of godly nation, godly, godly Christian. Yeah, they, they've turned to secularism, and we see the result of secularism versus God. <laughs> Funny, Jeff. Okay, back back on point here. We'll get rolling. Uh, anyway, universal knowledge of God. Then the Shekinah. Everybody know what Shekinah means? Glory. Woo! I like his glory, don't you? The visible manifestation of the divine glory will be seen overshadowing the city of Jerusalem. Ezekiel saw the glory of God departing gradually from the temple in the city of Jerusalem and finally disappearing altogether to the east over the Mount of Olives. This was an account of the awful, idolatrous abominations Joseph has preceded him in the fourth uh, Korah returning from the east and filling the millennial tent. Now, what is all of that? I didn't read that today. Yeah, I don't know what that's. It says Yeah, that shouldn't even be in there. I don't know what that's... Okay, anyway, and filling, yeah, here we go. And filling, it's got a sentence in here that doesn't make a bit of sense. I need to, if I had a pen, I'd mark that out. Re, uh, filling the millennial temple. The Shekinah glory will be continually 
over the holy city. And here's something else to get happy about. And Colin just mentioned it. Satan will be bound. Everybody say, yay! <laughs> Hallelujah. The age to come will be characterized by the absence of the arch enemy of God and man. Satan who will be bound, cast into the abyss. Remember one of the words last week was uh, for hell was what? Abagon? Ab Abaddon, yeah, Abaddon or something, yeah. So, anyway, the heavens and the earth also will be cleansed from all external evil, influence of Satan and his hosts. Revelation 12, also Job 15. Universal peace will prevail during this glorious period. Earth's inhabitants will no more groan under the enormous burden of hallelujah, Taxation, hallelujah. I'm, you know, I was just thinking about that the other day, how much taxes we pay. Just tax on tax on tax on tax. And then you die and your kids, the, 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 the things that you've accumulated, then your kids have to pay inheritance tax on what you've already been taxed on. And yeah. Thousand dollars. Wow, and it, and it, wow, wow, see mine went up $400 last year, I think, so yeah, every, every, yeah, every year. So, universal peace, statesmen forget that war will never be abolished until the cause of war the wickedness of men. I underline that in your book. If it's the last statement under universal peace. War will never be abolished until the cause of war, the wickedness of men's heart, is removed. Is that true? More territory, greed, on and on. You see it all down through the, you know, the, the history uh, here in ages and dispensations as we've gone through this book. You know, it's it's... It's pretty evident. For sure. Um, yeah, and it's funny. It like It's like every paragraph we go, it just kind of stems along from the same thing in my head. But backing up a little bit, we were talking about the um, where the Pentecostals tend to get a little overzealous, it looks like, about the... Um, the prophecy in Joel 228 and all of that. Yes. And it's like, well, this couldn't be the fullness right now. Like, it couldn't be. Because in order for it to be the fullness right now, we would have to have a complete lack of doubt and a complete lack. It would have to be 100% all the time, complete faith. And, well, I, I've never experienced that personally. Mm -hmm. And I have a lot of faith. And so it's like, Right, that's what I'm saying. So, so these things would have to take place in order for us to actually receive the fullness because it's those things that plant the doubt and hinder our faith and hinder our healing and hinder our abilities. Exactly. Are there miracles, signs, and wonders? Absolutely. I've seen so many of them. I've been involved in many of them. But that doesn't mean that we're walking in the fullness. I would be no. sad if this was the fullness. Exactly. It's going to be far more glorious. Oh, my gosh. There's so much to look forward to. And when Satan is bound and his cronies are bound and we don't have all the, we don't have the temptation and the war is ceased. And the you know what I mean? I love the word effusion, too. Yes, effusion. yes. Like, that'll be the fullness when you say, I'm, I'm healed because there's nothing or, or you know, this you're seeing these miracles and, and, and these mm -hmm. prophecies are, are coming or uh, yeah. coming to fruition. It's because there's nothing to hinder them. There's no, uh -huh. there's no walls. There's no barriers when we're walking in the That's fullness. That's a good point. Good point. And I remember Paul said, I believe it was, we now see through a glass darkly. Yeah. I, I literally said that to her while, while then she was face talking. to face. Did yeah. you? Wow. Yeah. And my, my thing is, is that those who say that we are post or that we are pre, that we are amillennial, we are in the millennium. There are people who believe that, or post millennial, that we have ha already had the one thousand years. Hmm. Uh, exactly, um, but there are those that believe that. I'm like, how, how crappy do you think God is that you wouldn't be able to tell definitively? 
There you go. It's like, oh yeah, he made this big old promise. Oh, <laughs> yeah. it's like Chinese. It's like it's like buying something from China. You're expecting this nice thing, and it falls apart in ten <laughs> seconds. Yeah. I mean. I'm sorry, I don't serve a God that does that. He actually yeah. delivers on what he promises. I so if he's going to promise a thousand years <laughs> of, of unbelievable peace and unbelievable prosperity of his people in the land of Israel and in the new Jerusalem, I'm sorry, I haven't seen that yet. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what God you're talking exactly. to, but he ain't mine. Exactly. Good point. I have not seen nor ear heard what God's got prepared. We can't even imagine our peanut brain what God's got. Yeah. Exactly. There'll be no doubt. Oh my gosh. That TikTok. Stop it. Stop, stop it. it. Yeah, I love that. You'll have to share that with everybody. Stop it. Yeah. Amen. A fruitful Palestine. It was once a land of wheat, barley, vines, figs, pomegranates, oil, olive. Well, they got that turned around too. Mine says oil, olive. How about olive oil <laughs> and honey that drinks of the rain of heaven, Deuteronomy. But the blessing of the Lord was withdrawn because of what? Disobedience. And for many years, the rains have been withheld until the Zionist movement began the colonization and renewal of the land through reforestation and agricultural development. It has been described by travelers as desolate and ruined land. Human effort will restore it to some extent, but its full blessing, woo, full blessing awaits the return of the early and latter rains in seasonal fullness. Remember us talking last week at the end of the session about... Uh, the, the river that's going to run under the city of Jerusalem for water and, and just on and on. Just, wow. So, number, anybody like animals? <laughs> get to the line, we'll get to lay down with the lamb, right? Wild animals domesticated. The ferocity of the beast will be removed. All the different kinds of animals will live at peace with one another. And a small child will be perfectly, Patrick's going to love this. <laughs> Yeah. I see some of these guys, especially the ones with the big old mane around them. I just want to pet them. Yeah, I just want to pet them too. <laughs> Take your hand off, but lion tamers. But anyway, that's going to be awesome. And man will again live to a great age, as in the records of Genesis. How about forever and forever? You know that kind of bothered me when I read this too today too a great yeah yeah without getting old yeah no limitations yeah yeah I'll, I'll still be able to dunk the ball right <laughs> Hallelujah. the beneficent rays of the sun will be increased in power sevenfold and the moon will shine as bright as our sun it would seem from Isaiah 60 that Jerusalem and the immediately surrounding country will be lighted, not so much by the sun, we mentioned this a while ago, but by the glorious presence of God himself. Woo! Hallelujah. So, final test and failure. Let's jump to that. The divine purpose in this release of Satan may be to test mankind finally under the most favorable conditions of the wise, powerful, and just rule of an absolutely righteous king. Man will have had a thousand years to live under these conditions and to experience their benefits. Uh, but I love this statement here. It's the next sentence after this. Uh, Man is a dismal failure apart from the grace and mercy of God. Is that so true? Ain't that the truth? To sum up the testing of man, we find that in the state of innocence, under conscience, human government, promise, law, grace, as well as with a perfect environment during the millennial age, he is an utter failure apart from God. That's the, there's this book in a nutshell right there, okay? God is amazing. We suck. <laughs> there you go. Five words. 
God is amazing. We suck. And I think we told y'all that at the start, right? That, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why did we spend six weeks? No, ten weeks. But anyway, now we're going to jump at the last, very last section, the judgments. You know, how many of you thought there were just two judgments? You know, I know in a lot of Pentecostal circles, you were talking about the judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne judgment. We're going to find out tonight there's more than that. Goody, goody, yeah. He lists, he lists three, but then there's really seven. Are you with me? There's phases of the three. Does that make sense? Okay, so we're going to look at them tonight. Some of them are, you know, judgment of just yourself and judgment when you, uh, of your sin, the judgment of the believer's sin. He calls that a, you know, a judgment. So, again, a little bit semantics here, but it's definitely uh, going to be interesting. So we're going to look at all of these so the first one, uh, the judgment seat of Christ, that's for who? Believers, all right? You know, you know, I was thinking about this. I was reading this this morning. Man, we used to, we used to do drama back in the day. And we would, you know, back then you tried to scare the, well, can I say that word, out of people? <laughs> you know, you, you tried to, and we did. We, I mean, we shouldn't have. I look back at it now and go, man, that's, that was coercion to the nth degree. <laughs> that was coercion to the twisting of the arm. But we would we would do a deal where we'd drag someone down the aisle. You know, we've got angels, you got fire over here on this side, you got heaven, you know, smoke coming out the side door, and over here on this side you got white puffy clouds and gold coming out the the door and you'd say, Betty Sue, come forward, please. <laughs> we'd drag she comes up out, you know, the spotlight comes on the the lady in that in the congregation. I was here. a demon in one of those. Huh? I was a demon in one of those. Places in one of those same about. place. There you go. And you drag her up here, and you know, one makes it, and one don't. And that's that's. Sorry, <laughs> wish wish I wouldn't have done that. Now that I know a little more, but it's uh, it's not going to be that way. There's going to be the judgment seat of Christ for the believer, and there's going to be the judgment of the wicked dead. Two separate judgments. So we definitely need to understand that right so the judgment seat of christ talks about and talked about in second corinthians 5 10 only believers will be present there the throne of christ's glory on the earth uh, where he will sit as millennial king to judge the living nations. so this is the judgment of the nations the second judgment and then the third one is the great white throne judgment so uh just as to kind of give it a, 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 a earthly demonstration. So the judgment seat of Christ for the believers is kind of like family court, except it's all pluses pretty much. It's just handing out rewards. So it's kind of almost more like a, re- a reward ceremony. Mm-hmm. And then the great white throne judgment would be criminal court. Right. <laughs> exactly. Good, good, good analogy there. Yeah. One's going to hear the words... Depart from me, I never knew you. And the other one's going to hear, you know, uh, welcome. You've been faithful over a few things. I'm going to make you ruler over many things. So anyway, it goes on here. Those are the three. Uh, the judgment seat of Christ, the judgment of the nations, and the great white throne. Now let's jump in here, uh, jump down to the next bold lettering there in your book, the judgment of the believer's sin. So now we're going to kind of look at these in in phases here uh, on the cross the sins of the whole world were laid upon Christ we understand that right who as the Lamb of God bore them away we understand the the type typology there back to the Old Testament when the priest would you know lay him upon the the, the lamb and he would run off into the wilderness his work there was perfect finished complete once for all and here he says in Hebrews 10, 10, by the which will we are sanctioned, I mean sanctioned, sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Christ suffered the penalty which was due the sinner. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. It, this meant the just claims of God against the sinner for the breaking of his law. And thus opened the door of justification. Who has broke the law? What's that scripture? All have 
sinned and come short. That's Romans, I think, uh, 3.23. And then Romans 3.10, there's none righteous. No, not one. So we understand, I think we understand that. Did you want to say something, Colin? Well, just uh, in youth, we're reading through Hebrews, and it, was ta- and it talks about, you know, the law was brought about to put everyone under condemnation so that there would so that none could claim themselves to be because nobody could get it perfect there was there was no way anybody could get it perfect and it would and it would necessarily require a messiah a christ to offer that perfect sacrifice and so god in his infinite wisdom created a law that condemned literally everybody from the from the best of people to the worst of people, right. all equally, so Good. that they could all be redeemed. Awesome, glad y'all are studying that. Yeah, if you look at the book of Romans, the first three chapters pretty much shows that everyone—Jew, Gentile, Black, White, Rich, Educated, Uneducated, whatever—you know, class or title—we we're all guilty. We needed a savior, so. Here the element of the individual sinner's attitude towards this perfect sacrifice enters into the question as to whether that sacrifice shall be come efficacious in each case. And that word, in case you're a country boy like me, it means effective or successful in each case. However, immediately the sinner becomes a believer and takes Christ as his personal Savior, judgment for sin is over for him. Y'all agree? Verily, verily, here it is. I say unto you, he that hears my word, believes on him that sent me, has everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation or judgment, but is passed from out of death into life. So there's the first judgment. Jesus took care of it, didn't he? Hallelujah. So now, and I like this next one. This may be, somebody may get a, a rhema word here tonight on this, this section here. It's really, uh, is it important for us to judge ourselves? Someone recently commented on that. I don't know if it's one of y'all that was preaching or me or Terry or something. Okay. Is that what it was? Okay. All right, judging yourself, is it, you know, and that's something you'll hear a lot of preaching on, is it? We talk about sanctification and the progressive work that should be happening in your life through the Holy Spirit and repentance and, you know, exactly. The Holy Spirit reveals something, we deal with it, we take care of it, we get it out, we cleanse and and move forward. But let's let's go through here, there, and just, again, if you want to jump in here uh, anytime, just let me know. 1 Corinthians 11, 31, 32 states a principle which applied not only to the Corinthian believers in the specific circumstances of their case as an assembly, but applies to each individual believer now and will do so all through his earthly pilgrimage. It is the principle of self-judgment. This aspect of judgment relates to the believer as a son in the Father's house. I like this. Judgment will come for lack of obedience to the Word of God, number one. For failure to confess sin or acknowledge fault before God, and if necessary, before his fellow believer. Several scriptures there. The Holy Spirit, here's kind of the sequence that happens. The Holy Spirit applies the word as we read it and as we wait in prayer before the Lord, but failure to measure our lives by the word or to allow the searchlight of the Spirit to be turned into our hearts brings upon us the chastening rod of our loving Heavenly Father. Yeah. Anybody ever got a spanking? Anybody ever gone around the mountain a few times? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. At least. Yeah. <laughs> not you, Lisa. Surely not. You're so sweet. I mean, obviously everyone else in the room. <laughs> <laughs> No, I was going to jump in and add um, just an observation that I've made over the last several years. I think that um, that's kind of where we, we sometimes miss the mark as um, maybe as ministers and those that counsel other, 
um, because you have somebody that comes to you and they've, they feel, um, you, know, con you know, conviction or whatever, a believer that's, you know, going through a hard time, and they're absolutely just railing themselves, you know, inside, and it's like, whoa, 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 okay, you know, the accuser of the brethren is not the Lord, like, you need to lighten mm -hmm. up a little bit. But at the same time, I think sometimes we take it too far, and we're too quick to kind of, it's okay, it's okay, just let it go. It's yeah, all our right. love don't, and compassion. Don't yeah. be so hard on yourself. It's all right. We all mess up. That is valid. That is absolutely valid. But, you know, I used to say to um, some of our, our teen challenge students, when they would come to me, you know, they're experiencing conviction for, like, the first time in their entire lives, mm -hmm. and they're like, why do I feel bad about this? Now I hate myself, and I'm not good enough. And it's like, well, okay, pause. You know, you talk about like what they did, okay, you know, I feel really, really bad, I feel really bad. And instead of just saying, okay, well don't be so hard on yourself, it's okay, feel that for a minute. I want you to sit in that for a minute, just feel it, just for just a minute. Feel it. You know, you, like that. you need to feel it and you need to process it. Don't unpack and live there, but like, you know, just hang yeah. out for a minute though. Yeah, because if, you, if you're too, too quick yeah. to brush off that light that the Holy Spirit has shown on your sin and on your darkness. If you're too quick to say, well, I'm covered by the blood and I'm sorry and I'm never going to do it again and you rush off, yeah. like, and you don't truly feel that broken and contrite yeah. heart, you're just going to do it again. What right, a, you're just going to repeat. And I think that in this feel-good gospel world that we live in right now, that we're too quick to hug somebody and say, well, it's going to be all right. Now, I'm still going to hug you, and I'm still going to tell you that it's going to be all right because his grace is enough. Yeah. But you still have to feel it, and your heart still needs to be broken. And in order to be broken, you have to sit there for a second, yeah. you know, and let that light shine on you. And then give it to the Lord and let him give you that peace and let him Amen. give you that comfort so that you can move on from it. Just great words of wisdom Very right Very good. there. We could uh, be hindering the Holy Spirit's work in that believer's life by our reaction and trying to... By appeasing, to, yeah. yeah. Uh, what, what, what is extinguishing the fire of the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Um, and what, what I have to... What I tell, constantly remind myself of is when Peter... Not Peter, Paul, is talking about his life before Damascus. And he says, Oh, what a wretched man that I am. Not was... Am. Am. He keeps it in the present tense because that irredeemable nature never goes away. Otherwise, there would be no need for a savior. Exactly. So, what I tell myself is I am never going to be good enough, but that's okay. That's the whole reason Jesus came. And I think what exactly what you said is the big is one of the biggest problems in the church that we have right is now. everybody's preaching that feel good oh you're forgiven everything's good but the part that's forgotten is you need to repent right. repent repent every day perpetual right. remittance of sin don't right. sweep Discipline. it under the rug don't shove it in the corner and chastening are good yes and then people, people in the church run around wondering, like, oh, my goodness, why is my world falling apart? Well, maybe you've got some skeletons in the closet. <laughs> there you go. Some good stuff right here. And it's definitely very relevant to the times we're living in. Huh? Genuine repentance. We preach it straight here, don't we? And, again, it, uh, like I said Sunday, we don't. Try to tickle your ears, you know. It uh, exactly. That's you know the chastening and the and the discipline of the Lord in my life. As I look back over it, is where I have grown the most. Mm -hmm. It wasn't in the feel good, feel good. And I, I think you're going to see the church get back to yeah. some of this right here. Well, I feel like that's something that's happening, um, body of Christ wide right now is there's a lot of um, pruning of the branches happening. And, you're, it, it, you know, I'm sorry, absolutely. And I think that um, it's kind of bringing us back to, like, what Jen was saying, that true repentance. But, um, oh, it left. Oh, no, I was going to say, it's, it's that stagnance, that, that, that complacency. You know, we had that phrase in the Army, complacency kills. You know, if you get comfortable, somebody's yeah. going to sneak up behind you and... You know, and it's the same thing. We get so comfortable in our Christianity that, well, I'm saved. It's fine. I know where I'm going. I mean, come on. 
you know, and, and we forget that we're supposed to be ever growing and ever moving and ever, you know, yeah. training disciples up and, and ever learning. And the devil is selling that lie so oh, good. Oh, right yeah, now. absolutely. Just it's okay. You go to church. It's fine. It's just fine. Just watch it. You get up. You throw a hundred bucks in the plate occasionally. It's good. You're doing enough. You pray exactly. for your kids. You're fine. Exactly. Good stuff here, isn't it? So, oftentimes, progress is made in self-judgment as we are willing to receive correction and rebuke not only from God but even from others right oh, yeah. definitely God will use I don't look back I'm looking back over my life God has used different people at different times to kind of right the ship and get me right back on you know right back on target do we need accountability partners do we need mentors do we need people that you know can help us on this Terry got me on that Wednesday night a few weeks back he got me good, like, and, and I was shook. Like, I, I got uncomfortable in my seat. I did, and I came to him about two weeks later, and I said, never stop doing that. I need that. I get cocky. I get mouthy, and I'm hard to talk to sometimes. And he just laughed at me. I said, no, seriously, though, please don't ever stop. <laughs> yeah, there you go. We need it. Bam. Okay, so judgment of ourselves. Number three, the judgment seat of Christ, the one that we talked about earlier uh, that's for believers we mentioned that uh, let's see it is for the distribution or withholding of rewards according to the faithfulness or unfaithfulness of the believer as a steward in the master's house I've always felt like there's going to be you know some levels God's always done things decently and in order and I wouldn't deserve to live in the same house probably Billy Graham did right <laughs> Why not? I don't know. I, and again, that's just my personal opinion. Again, just getting there, you know, whether it's a hut or or whatever. But again, I think those that have, you know, I just think of missionaries that have, you know, sacrificed their whole lives, you know, to reach one village or one whatever, you know, they're going to have a great, great reward. And there's actually a scripture that says according... Uh, to their ability or something judged according to your works what you've done so we know that works as far as getting saved has nothing to do with salvation but what we do our works after what we uh, what we do afterwards is very important and that's what this judgment is going to be about so well, it's, it's literally the difference between a, a general admission ticket a vip stage pass and a backstage pass it, that's i mean that's probably the best analogy i can come up with it's like okay you can get in the door with yeah. salvation you can and, and there's a book yeah and I'm some people to, that's all they want they yeah just, I, hell insurance they want hell insurance yeah. well some people that's all they're taught true yeah um there's a book I'm trying to remember the name of it. No. Uh, I'm going to have to look it up uh, later and, and talk about it later. But okay. there's a book that, it, the entire book, and it's a long book. It's like 250 pages. And it's an entire dream that happened over two years to this guy about what heaven, it, there's a lot of symbol, symbolism, but what basically what heaven is going to be like. And it talks about that, the great, the great throne room of Christ. I've read that book. I you probably have. It was very popular in the early in the late nineties, early two thousands. You know, Gary Woods got a book too, but no, no this is um, different. And, and it, there's a lot of symbolism. It's a very well done book. Yeah. Um, but it, it, you know, he enters into the throne room, and at the back of the room, there's people. It's like I, I, I just kind of fell backwards into this room. I was like, I, I. I, I just got saved right before right before I died, and so I just got in the door. And then he goes up to the next level, and it, it, and basically a, a, like a veil of glory is lifted, and he can see God more clearly. Mm. And it's the next group, and they were like, "Well, you know, I kind of I kind of followed, tried to follow scripture, but I didn't really do that much." And each level, each level closer to the throne, wow. the glory was more revealed with yeah. each group. And once you got up to the front, it's like his glory was so overwhelming to this person who was seeing this. And the people around him were basically just 
glowing right along with them because these are these are the saints you know the these are these are you know people like billy graham these are people like maybe mother Teresa. i you know the the people that you know for sure are getting a good reward Amen. are at the front and then the people who just get the general admission in the back good you know good and, point yeah so yeah and again i've always i don't know i read couple of scripture. I did some research on it many years ago, and I just felt like that, you know, there's going to be different, different rewards, you know, definitely. Uh, again, the most important thing is getting there, but, but, you know, and again, don't you wish the church would grab hold of that and realize that all these other little things that I'm doing down here, uh, doing this, doing that, and I have an opportunity, my pastor or the youth pastor or the outreach coordinator or somebody is needing help or soul food and uh, I think I'll just stay home today you know well why not come and get some reward you know lay up some treasure somewhere else that and that whole thing that I was just talking to you about is the the greater reward that's the whole reason I changed the name to level up well, of the youth to level up. so level up your faith level up your friendships level up the fun that is the faith fan, faith friendship and fun yeah. but le- the first part of that is to level up yeah. your faith not to just get the general admission ticket but to get backstage right. to see the reason you're there right and so, i know i've said it standing exactly right here probably not once but probably 10 times in the last 10 years that when they're throwing the shovels of dirt on you if that's the way you choose to be buried all that matters at that moment is what you've done for God. Mm-hmm. Number one, well, it matters whether or not you've asked him into your life, but number two, what you have done for God is all that's going to matter. Everything else that you've thought is so important and so, oh, gosh, i got to do it. Nah. Okay. All right. Let's, let's circle the wagon here. Uh, so we understand the judgment seat of Christ. I do like the, the analogy that he used. The writer went to the Supreme Court of the United States when uh, William Howard Taft, that was a while back, uh, was, was the chief justice and just the, the deep respect, the awe of, of being there with all those, uh, you know, powerful, wonderful people, the highest power in the land of, uh, you know, the United States of America. And then he thought about the presence of the judge. <laughs> Woo, man, the judge that uh, of all judges and of all the earth, so anyway, it talks about uh, something there about the Grecian games and all that, too. We're going to jump over that. Okay, then he, he does quote a, uh, there was a story about the worker's dream. Anybody read that tonight? Uh, I, I kind of skimmed over it. Uh, quite a dream here, and, uh, and then the interpretation here in a couple of pages. But he had this dream, uh, uh, and let's see here. He was tired with my work. I soon lost myself in a sort of half-forgotten state. Suddenly a stranger entered the room without any preliminary tap or come in. He carried about his person, measures, chemical agents, and implements, which gave him a very strange appearance. And this, then he asked him a question, how is your zeal? So he uh, you know, gave him the answer, and he measured it 100 pounds. I'm moving on here. Pretty quick. I could scarce express an audible note of satisfaction, but I caught his earnest look as he noted down the weight. And I saw at once that he had drawn no final conclusion, but was intent on pushing his investigation. It's got to go through something, doesn't it? It's got to go through the fire, doesn't it? He broke the mass, the mass to atoms, put it into his crucible, put the crucible into the fire. When the mass was fused, he took it out, set it to cool, it congealed in cooling. And when turned out on the hearth, exhibited a series of layers or strata, which all at the touch at the touch of the hammer fell apart and were severely tested and weighed. The stranger making minute, minute notes as the process went on. When he had finished, he presented the notes to me, and he gave me a look of mingled sorrow and compassion, as without a word, except, "May God save you." <laughs> he left. The room, and then here is the analysis. Wow, Did you, you can see it there for yourself. Bigotry, eleven. Personal ambition, twenty-two. Love of praise, nineteen. Pride of denomination, fifteen. Ooh, fifteen. Pride of talent, fourteen. Love of authority, twelve. Love of God, four. 
Hello, man, three, one hundred. Wow. Wood, hay, and stubble, huh? A lot of it burned up. So, you know, I know we say it a lot, you know, what it's very important to check our motivation as to why we do anything we that we do. And I'm, I, even at my age, I still do that quite frequently. You know, Lord, why am I doing this? Why are we doing that? What, you know, what's the, it's not to be seen of, I, I despise literally religion. And I think you've heard me say that many times. I can't stand outward show and all this stuff. So I have to constantly, again, examine my motives. So again, a good, uh, a good little story there, the, the worker's dream. So let's jump on over here to uh, number four, the judgment of Israel. Will Israel be judged? Yeah. The Jews, they hold a peculiar covenant relationship to God in view of his sovereign choice of them to be his witnesses among the nations of the earth. God chose them, didn't he? But we know, of course, in the New Testament, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, but there's still that attachment, isn't there? There's still that, uh, uh, what's the word here? Uh, he likes them <laughs> a lot. And so there's going to be a, a special judgment for them. God has ordained that from them, of course, came the Messiah, Christ. And in the nation directly, when they are restored to divine favor and are again a blessing because of this covenant relationship, God calls them my sons and deals with them as such in chastening for their disobedience. Stephen's indictment of them as a people. This is the scripture I misplaced Sunday. I got home Sunday. I remember saying as I was preaching about you do always resist the Holy Ghost. And I compared that to Paul kicking against the pricks. And I thought, that's not, you know, right as I'm saying it up here, I'm like, you got something twisted up there, buddy. <laughs> you know, type thing. Yeah, so, so I got home, and sure enough, I, I looked, and it's Acts, instead of Acts 9, where, you know, uh, Paul is, you know, wrestling with Jesus there on the road to Damascus, it was Stephen. You know, if you ever read Acts 7, Stephen preaches. There's verse after verse of him oh, yeah. preaching there, you know, and he says, he finally gets, yeah, he gets to the conclusion. He says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised, you do always resist the Holy Ghost. So that's kind of what... Uh, th this is talking about here, Jerusalem has been besieged and destroyed more times than any other city on the globe. The Jews have been scattered, according to prophecy, to the utmost bounds of the earth. Why? Because they disobey, they're rebellious. They're... So from among them, God, though, has been gathering a remnant. Everybody say remnant. A remnant according to the election of grace. And it talks about that here. Uh, when Christ, their own Messiah and deliverer, came, they said, Away with him, we will not have this man to rule over us. Even after his redemptive work had been completed and the door of salvation was opened to them, they refused the conviction of the Holy Spirit, rejected his messengers, brought upon them the judgment of the destruction of their city by the Romans. Does God eventually bring judgment down? I don't care if you are his people. Is, is America going to experience some of the judgment of God? Yes, yes, and is already. The sorrows of Israel because of their unbelief and rejection of their Messiah were clearly predicted by Jesus himself. There in Luke 21, 24, they shall fall by the edge of the sword. They'll be led away captive into all nations. Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. So we see that playing out here, don't we, under the judgment of Israel. Uh, this event is certainly leading up to Israel's eventual restoration. After judgment comes what? Restoration. But the last act in the drama of Israel... And the nations involves Israel's final time of sorrows, the time of Jacob's trouble there in Jeremiah. Israel will yet be overrun one more time by Antichrist and his armies in Revelation 19. But they will, will be annihilated by the glory of the returning Christ. And Israel will come into her final destiny through the faithful 
remnant of the nation. Hallelujah. The wheat and the tares, right? The wheat and the tares. However, God has promised to regather them, but not without repentance on their part. So, talks here about passing under the rod there in Ezekiel 20. Uh, some more stuff there. So, everybody understand the judgment of Israel. There's, again, a lot of scriptures there if you want to do some more research on that. And then, number five, the judgment of the nations. Matthew 25, of course, Jesus in uh, talking here, uh, Matthew 24 and 25, all red letter in your Bible. Uh, it's going to talk about the difference here uh, between Matthew 25 and Revelations chapter, Revelation chapter 20. And we're going to show the, the kind of compare these two here. Uh, there's going to be a, a judgment here on earth of the nations and there's going to be a judgment in heaven of the nations so Matthew 25 there's no resurrection living nations are judged it's here on the earth there's three classes sheep goats brethren no books are mentioned and it's before the millennium and then when we get to what John saw there in Revelation 20 he saw a resurrection he saw the dead judged. he saw heaven and earth going one class. So, so many uh, theologians have tried to make one judgment of the nations out of this when there's actually two. We understand in that, right? All right. Uh, one before the millennium, one after. They are dealt with uh, separately. And uh, so we need to dive off in here a little bit. I'm going to highlight some of this. We're running. I want to get this. Hey, we got two more pages. We'll make it. The actual drama of this judgment is enacted in the vicinity of Jerusalem, the Valley of Jehoshaphat, the plain of Megiddo at the Battle of Armageddon. Joel 3, 9 through 17, God challenges the nations to their utmost effort to thwart him and his purposes for Israel, and they are seen gathered against Jerusalem in blasphemous defiance of the Almighty. Zechariah, the prophet, talks about it too there, chapter 14. In the midst of the display of terrestrial and celestial signs, the Lord burst forth from the heavens for the deliverance of his covenant people, and the nations are judged, and Israel is delivered from being swallowed up. The remnant of Israel will then be regathered from among the nations of the earth, and the millennium kingdom with the Jew, the head and not the tail, will come into his own as God's peculiar People. The remnant of the nations or the sheep will acknowledge God and will vie with the Jews to do him honor. So, any comments or questions on that part? Judgment of the nations. Are there wicked nations and are there good nations? Yes. Definitely. Definitely. Judgment of the wicked dead. That's the ones who have been the bad boys, bad boys. No, what you mean? Okay, this, uh, the just, this judgment takes place at the close of the millennium, 1,000 years after the judgment of the nations. This judgment does not occur on earth, as does the judgment of the nations, for, but in the realm of the heavenlies where God dwells. Probably this judgment takes place at the same time as the renovation of the earth by fire. Remember, Peter saw that in his second epistle there so uh, jump down to the presence of the book of life might lead to the conclusion that some righteous may be there if so they must be those who may die during the millennium but we are inclined to believe that the righteous of the millennial age will live on until the inauguration of the new heavens and the new earth the presence of the book of life has been explained as necessary to condemn those who plead their good works as meriting consideration when they should have accepted Christ as a consequence of which their names would have then been recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life. Uh, there will certainly be degrees of punishment as well as degrees of reward. So there's that coming up again. The wicked dead are judged according to their works and this great size seems to 
include the great mass of ungodly men from the beginning of time until the end of the millennium. The record of their works is present to determine the degree of punishment. Something different there, huh? The lake of fire is the final place of separation. Maybe, you know, the bad boys are up really close. You know, how many of you ever set around a fire? You know, the closer you get, you know, eventually the, you just feel the hair on your legs starting to, to burn off. You're like, oh, maybe I better back up a little bit here. So again, definitely only those that have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and their name is written down in the Lamb's Book of Life will be in heaven. So, but apparently as there are degrees of uh, rewards, there's also degrees of punishment. So, and the last one, drum roll, judgment of the angels. This is in Jude. How many chapters are in Jude? Good answer. You get 100 bonus points. <laughs> Good job. The judgment of the angels. Uh, while not definitely marked off as the time in the scripture will possibly occur at the same period as the great white throne judgment at the close of the millennium. Satan and some of his hosts at least have liberty at present to work their own designs except as God overrules while some of the angels because of special sin are kept in confinement in chains of darkness waiting for the judgment of the great day. Satan as we know of course is first bound at the beginning of the millennium and then at the close, you know, he's the, at, of, of that period, he meets his final doom in the lake of fire. But the particular time for the judgment of angels as a class seems to be at the time of the great white throne assize. There you have it. Dun, 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 dun. Comments? Questions? We're done. Okay. Oh, they're at the end of that chapter? Yeah. You know, that last part when it's talking about um, the, the judgment of the wicked dead, and it talks about being separated from God, and it seems like such a, just a basic sentence to be separated from God. But it's like, I think about that, and I think about even when I didn't believe that he existed, how he was still with me, keeping me alive, dragging me through, guiding my stuff. You know what I mean? And just the idea of being completely separated. Oh, yeah. Because we're created to worship him. Our bodies, our, yeah. our souls, our is created to worship him. And to be separated from your exact purpose. Yeah. Like the torment in that. I know. It's just mind-blowing. Dreadful, terrible. Thankful I don't have to experience it, but hopefully I can help as many as possible to not have to experience Amen. it. Amen. Isn't that the goal of this? You it know, as, I was, as we were going through this talking about all these judgments, I thought, you know, we've got to round people up, don't we? We, got to we have get one them. job. <laughs> yeah. We have one job. Yeah. We have one job. Yeah. Make disciples. That's right. That's it. Said it two weeks ago. Know him, make him known, right? Hallelujah. Jen, can you, go, you can go ahead and shut this off if you want to. One job. What can you take to heaven with you? Souls. Yeah, there you go. Bag full, I like that, a bag full. What'd you say? 